right, 2 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter's third book. He only wrote two, but he was involved in John Mark's writing. His nephew, John Mark, wrote the Gospel of Mark. And so here he is telling why he's writing this second letter in verse 12 of 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, Therefore, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. Who knows? It helps to be reminded of what you already know. The older we get, the more we need to be reminded. Verse 13, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent, that is his old body, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. And he did that at the end of John 21. Told him about his death. Verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder. Notice he said the word remind, reminder, several times here. Reminder of these things after my decease. Verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So he tells why he's writing. As an eyewitness, while other eyewitnesses are still alive, he's writing to remind people that after he's gone, they'll have these reminders that he's left. And he even connects this to all of Scripture. Verse 19, we also have the prophetic word made more sure, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved. Can we say moved? Moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote it like this in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration or moving, literally the breathing of God. When people wrote the scriptures, they were inspired to write what they wrote, but they wrote it in their own words, their own personality showed in their writing. And it's profitable for doctrine. That's, can we say teaching? For reproof. Can we say direction? For correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. Can we say whole? Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The scriptures were given not just to be a paperweight on your breakfast table or something to pull out of the closet when the preacher comes over. It's meant to be the word of life that we apply to our lives. Can I get an amen? Today's subject is the question, we discussed it on Wednesday, is the Bible reliable? Can we ask that? Is the Bible reliable? The Bible, uh, for me, is a guidebook. I think it's inspired by God, and I do think it's filled with inaccuracies. And you'll see things, and then it reminds you of yourself, and it'll make you really want to change. You'll realize that 
That Bible's not lying to you, but it's telling you truth. 圣经呃，至今仍然是呃可信的。Just a, a storybook written by some people about some character. There's plenty of things that even if you don't believe in God, there's plenty of things in the Bible that can improve your life. I personally don't think everything should be taken literally. The Bible?、Mm, that's controversial. <laughs> Thank you for asking. The Bible is still here. It, this book is almost 2,000 years old. It, it still exists for some reason, and to me, that stands out. That means something. It's not coincidence. I have on the pulpit here Evette's family Bible. We inherited it. She grew up with this in her home. It has some amazing works of art, copies of paintings by Rembrandt and other artists, and sketches. And photos of archaeological things, as well as concordance, and a book of Bible stories for children, are also included. I really hope that this becomes in vogue again. In fact, I would hope that as church members, you would consider getting a family Bible to keep on the coffee table for your children and/or grandchildren to look through during their pastime. I know we. All have electronics and all kinds of other amazing things, but there's nothing like ink and paper, and photographs, and art can help instill a love for the Bible in the hearts of your children. I know we did it with our own children, and come Christmas, I hope to give each of them a family Bible for their homes. It's a desire, anyway, that I have. Consider something like this as a tradition in your family. We're considering the question today: Is the Bible reliable? And of course, my efforts are going to be to communicate: Yes, it is. I may not answer all of your questions, but there's a website that has some more input and more data called ExploreGod.com. Check it out. So here we go. Why believe the Bible is reliable? There's four categories that apologists use in describing the reliability of the. Bible and it's the acrostic maps. Can we say maps? M stands for manuscripts. A stands for archaeology. P stands for prophecies, and S stands for statisticals. Four kinds of evidence to prove or to give reason to believe in the reliability of the scriptures. First, the manuscripts, the Old Testament in museums. Present in the world today that we know of are over 14,000 manuscripts and fragments of manuscripts. Some date all the way back to before 200 B.C. Of the New Testament present in seminaries and museums are over 5,300 New Testament manuscripts. These are not originals, but they're copies of originals and portions of Scripture. Some within 60 years of their writing. There's no peers to it in ancient literature. You can compare the scriptures to the writings of Homer, Tacitus, Pliny, Aristotle, Sophocles, and others. In terms of ancient manuscript copies that we have in museums and universities, the numbers don't even come close. And also in closeness to their original writing in terms of age. The scriptures eclipse them all. Also, in terms of accuracy, when comparing these copies or these manuscripts to each other, they're within 
something percent of being exactly identical. Humans made copies of copies and copies of copies, and they were very careful to be accurate. And so what little variation there is is very minor when it's discovered. The Jewish scriptures were transcribed by scribes. Remember, Jesus would have debates with the Pharisees and the scribes. It was their occupation to copy the scriptures, to make new scrolls. It's my understanding that to make a scroll that contained the law, that is the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, would take a flock of sheep, however many that is, to build a scroll over 100 feet in length and to cure the leather in such a way that the scriptures could be written down in Hebrew. When they would create this scroll, they knew the exact link it had to be, and they would determine where the middle is, and they would make a mark. And when the scribes began to copy the scriptures, they had so many lines, it had to be exactly the exact number of columns, the exact number of lines, as well as letters. They would make sure it was a mathematical duplicate as well as a word-for-word duplicate. If they got to the halfway point and something was off, They threw the whole thing away and started over again. So meticulous were these scribes in their work that if they had to copy the name of God, they would stop and go and bathe and write the name of God. And then they would destroy the pen and stop and go and bathe again. These guys were radical to be accurate in their writing. The monks and the copying of the New Testament also radical people. Thank God for the printing press. And now the computers and all this other stuff. Another reason to believe the Bible is reliable is archaeological evidence. Listen to what a well-known archaeologist, Nelson Gluck, a Jewish guy, he taught at a Jewish seminary somewhere, he said this, it may be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. Now, at times, they thought they would have a contradiction. But as they dug deeper and explored and researched more, they would find out the scriptures were correct. One example was they didn't think there was a King Belshazzar in world history. And the book of Daniel, remember the king after Nebuchadnezzar was King Belshazzar, and he's the one that saw the handwriting on the, on the wall. He was the king when Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. And so... For years, archaeologists said Daniel's full of errors. There was no King Belshazzar. Until one day, during an archaeological dig, somewhere in that region of the world, they found a cylinder that had on it or within it historical facts written. And they learned this. They knew that the king that replaced Nebuchadnezzar was named Nabonidus. Can we say Nabonidus? Never heard of him, have we? But he was the guy that replaced Nebuchadnezzar. But he had to leave the country and go and do something. So he appointed Belshazzar as his co-regent. So through archaeology, they discovered the scriptures were correct. There was a biblical skeptic, an atheist named Sir William Ramsey, who was an archaeologist who set out to disprove the reliability of Luke's writings, specifically the book of Acts. So he traveled all over the Mediterranean region. Remember Luke traveled with Paul while he was writing the book of Acts? And everywhere he went, he found confirmations that Luke's writings about geography, 
even weather patterns, rulers, politics, different things, and, and other religions were exactly right on. So many confirmations did Sir Ramsey find he became a believer as a result and said that Luke was a wonderful historian, very accurate in what he had to write. All right, then there's the evidence of prophecies. Hundreds of Bible prophecies have already been fulfilled. The probability of eight Bible predictions being fulfilled is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, let me explain this a little more. I didn't do a good job of explaining last week. But there was a Dr. Peter Stoner. I guess they had fun with his name in the 70s. Oh, you're really a stoner prof, you know. But he gave an assignment to 600 students in like a dozen classrooms to research and see what the the statistics were for Christ fulfilling eight prophecies. One is like he was born in Bethlehem. What the statistics for a person to be born in Bethlehem. So they took the population of the world that they knew of and the population of Bethlehem and all of Israel and did their figures and came up with one in so many people were born in Bethlehem. So for Christ to be born in Bethlehem, he was one in so many people. You got that? And then add another factor from his life that was a fulfillment of prophecy. And they came up with a mathematical figure for that. And then do that for all eight of the major prophecies. I'm not sure what they all were. And then mathematically figure what it would be for a person to fulfill all eight of those. Turned out to be one in ten to the 17th power. Now you may think, well, statistically, what are the statistics that a person would be just like me? Well, it would be similar. Only one in so many people were born where you were born, and one in so many people lived where you lived, and one in so many people have gone to school where you've gone to school, one in so many people chose a career you chose, and one in so many people, you know, when you get down to it, it's one in, you know, magnanimous numbers because we're all unique except for this fact. Where's the prophecy that would predict you would do all those things? So, biblical prophecy definitely is in existence. The religion of Judaism was in existence before Christ came. They had a hand in seeing him crucified because they believed he violated Leviticus that, you know, had a sentence of capital punishment for someone guilty of blasphemy. And so the Old Testament prophecies were in place. No more prophecies were given For 400 years, no more scriptures were written. Then come Christ on the scene with 39 books of hundreds of prophecies. And he starts to fulfill them. Even people around him are fulfilling them. Confirming the inspiration of the scriptures as well as, I believe, his divinity. Another reason to believe the Bible is reliable are what we call statisticals. Bible's not one book. It's a book of 66 books written by 40 writers in three languages on hundreds of controversial subjects in many different scenarios and settings. And yet they all flow together in great unity. Bible's not one book, but 66 compiled under one binding, written over a period of 1,500 years by about 40 different authors from all walks of life, from varying occupations, written in three different languages on three different continents. In times of peace and in times of war. 
The Bible's authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write on hundreds of controversial subjects, yet with absolute harmony from the beginning to the end. Now think about this. Say we interview five people of the same nationality, working at the same job, living in the same town during the same year, and we ask each one of them to speak their mind on one controversial subject. What are the chances that they're going to agree? And yet, despite all the differences in the lives of those who pen the scriptures, the Bible is absolutely harmonious from beginning to end. The Bible's remarkable continuity is evidence of its divine origin. And this unity is due to the fact that ultimately it has one author, God. The Bible served as a basis for modern scientific pursuits. In fact, modern science was birthed in the 17th century because of a belief in an unchanging God of order, purpose, and consistency. The God portrayed in the Bible. It is filled with numerous medical and scientific facts and has been at the forefront of modern-day science. When scientists thought that the earth was flat, the Bible described the true shape of the earth and how it is suspended on nothing. Before oceans were explored, the Bible knew of the existing valleys and fountains and springs down in its depths. It even mentioned the hydrologic cycle with great clarity, thousands of years before science even had a drop of insight. It is the only spiritual book that contains fulfilled prophecy. Messianic prophecy, for example, foretold that the Messiah would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem and that he would be rejected by his own people yet bear their iniquities and save his people from their sin, which ultimately came to fruition at the cross when Jesus proclaimed, It is finished. The Bible is God's living and powerful word. It can be trusted. Okay, we've talked about manuscripts, archaeology, prophecy, and statistics. Now let's get personal. Why I believe Alan Latta Pastor Allen believes the Bible is reliable because the faith and hope that comes from believing the Bible's promises has always encouraged me when struggling with difficult circumstances from the days of my youth until now. For eight and a half years, I had a job that eventually became something I could not stand. I hated it with every fiber of my being. How did I continue to go to work? Well, I couldn't find anything else that had the hours that I needed and the income that it provided, but the Word of God sustained me and gave me the backbone I needed to, to continue to be faithful to serve in the role that I had. That's just one example. Another example of why I believe the Bible is reliable, taking principles from the Scriptures seriously, has stabilized and strengthened my marriage our family and friendships, as well as our own personal business transactions. The Word of God can keep you out of all kinds of trouble and heartache. Thirdly, having lived overseas, I know for sure that plenty of injustice and much suffering around the world has been abolished because of the Bible and those who take it seriously. Just one little example is in Nigeria there was a custom of killing twins. If you had twins, it was believed that one of them was the evil twin, and so that kid had to be killed. Well, the evangelism of Christianity 
and the bringing on of the Bible and Bible teaching, that custom stopped. And they saw that twins actually are a blessing. Another example, far more common, is wife beating. That's just not the custom of rednecks. That's a custom all over the world. And when the gospel comes to town and people's lives are changed, the powerful stop taking advantage of the weaker. And the weaker empowered to stand up for themselves. And the scriptures address that husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. He took a beating for us, not on us, for us. Get your prepositions right. On himself for And finally, the messages that the Bible conveys can begin transforming the life of anyone who will begin to heed it today. And I've seen it again and again and again. And you're in a room full of people that have also seen it. The Word of God has great impact. Now here's another video stating some statistical information about the Bible. Even gets into the marriage bed, so it's a little edgy. The Bible, a book that contains stories of nine-foot giants, families who live to be a thousand years old, food that falls from heaven, and epic wars. Cities turn to ash from the rage of tyrants, kings cast down, men dying in the dust of battle. One of the most controversial books in history, some people claim it even holds the answers to life and death. The Bible was written by 40 different authors, representing a diverse group of people. They range from a doctor, a few shepherds, farmers, fishermen, tax collectors, and kings. With over 6 billion copies in print, the Bible is actually a compilation of 66 books written over 1,600 years. This makes it one of the oldest books in existence. It's also one of the most documented books ever. There are over 10,000 ancient manuscripts supporting its accuracy and consistency with original writings. Parts of the Bible, like Proverbs, read like self-help. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a crabby, complaining wife. Or, give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those in anguish. Other parts read like love poetry that conservatives don't want you to hear. You are slender like a palm tree, and your breasts are like its clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb that palm tree and take hold of this fruit. There are rules to live by, too, like, don't murder people. Four books of the Bible are biographical accounts of Jesus, called the Gospels. And then there are historical books about people like Moses, Noah, and occasionally bears. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 43 of the youth. Right now, copies are being smuggled across borders. It's sitting in the pocket of a pastor being arrested. It's being read in jail cells and on deathbeds. It was tucked in the hold of the Mayflower. Without a doubt, it's a provocative and controversial book. Love it or hate it, believe it or don't. But decide for yourself. As the number one best-selling book in history, it just might be worth the read. Back to our question. Is the Bible reliable? Here's a way to learn for yourself. Now, if you already believe it's reliable and you're already convinced, well, listen up because this is the way to, to get the most from your Bible. It's called Bible meditation. Meditate. The scriptures. Now, it's not like sitting in a corner and, you know, curling your fingers and toes and saying, um, it's actually using your brain interacting with the scriptures. I call this the SOAP approach. It's based on Psalm 119, verse 9. 
that says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The word of God is like a mirror. When you read the scriptures, it convicts you. That, that verse that says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, has convicted me so much in 38 years of marriage. It's like a mirror. Ooh, I'm not being like Jesus here. And brings me to my knees in a place of repentance and change. It's like soap. It interacts with us in such a way that it brings cleansing. So this approach to Bible meditation is based on the acrostic S-O-A-P. S stands for scripture. O stands for observation or own words. A stands for application. P stands for prayer. What I'm about to teach you takes about 20 minutes if you don't rush. Taking your time, it takes about 20 minutes. It will change your life if you will do it on a daily basis. If you miss a day, don't double up on the next day. Just pick it up again and start again. First of all, Scripture. Read a chapter in the Bible. I'm meeting with some young men on Sunday evenings, and we're reading a chapter on Proverbs every day. It's a goal. If we miss a day, it's okay. You just Whatever day it is of the month, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs, just read that chapter. Today is chapter 25. Yesterday was chapter 24. Read that chapter. And then read it again and find what speaks to you the most. It may be a line, a sentence, or the whole verse, or a cluster of verses. What speaks to you the most? When you find that, Copy it word for word on a piece of paper or in your own journal. Or, in today's bulletin, on your meditation card. Write it out under Scripture word for word just like it is. Then comes observation. You read the verse you've copied in your own handwriting without all the other context around it. You read it and think about it. And think of how you would say this also in your own words. If you're a Texan, you might say y'all. So then you rewrite the verse in your own words. This is your observation or your paraphrase. So now you've got two verses on your page. Word for word copy of what spoke to you the most the day you read the chapter or chapters. And then in your own words. So, time for application. You reread all that you've written, the verse and your paraphrase of the verse. Just read it and think about how it applies to you. And then write down your personal application. I've done this with numerous people over the last few years, and some of them write paragraphs of application. Some people make lists. I've seen spouses repent to each other while they're doing it. And then comes prayer. Pray for God's help in applying this. Pray, Lord, as you will. I I need your help. I need your grace. Help me to apply this verse. And then write your prayer down. And when you're done writing your prayer, write amen. You're done. You've done your meditation for the day. Now, keep that book with you and think about what the Word said to you that day. More than once, go back and read that piece of paper. Keep it in your car or in your lunchbox or on a mirror somewhere. If you start your day with this, the Word of God will have impact in your life the whole day. The next day, 
Start over. Continue reading. And the same thing happens. will have impact in your life all day. And there's a cumulative effect of spiritual growth. I love to go to Christian concerts. I love Christian worship. I even love to go to conferences and hear other people preach. I even love sometimes on Saturdays, I'll go to a church that has a Saturday night service just to get fed myself. It's all good. It's all inspiring. It's all wonderful. But there is no substitute for an interaction between you and the Lord and your Bible. It's called personal spiritual growth. It is alive. It's powerful. You do this for 21 days, you will be a different person. Maybe you'll get hooked and do it for the rest of your life. It'll do it. So I did it yesterday. It was the 24th, so I read Proverbs 24. Second and third time reading it, verse 27 seemed to speak to me the most, which says, prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward, build your house. It just really spoke to me. So I copied it out word for word, and I thought about it. And then I rewrote the verse in my own words. Prioritize your life by putting first things first, like preparing for the future, after which concentrate on personal comforts. Only then are you ready. So many times in my life, I've got the cart ahead of the horse. (laughs) Started a family before I had a career. It's so much easier when you do things God's way. Can I get an amen? Now came the application. As I read those The verse and my paraphrase, these thoughts came to me. Much pain can be prevented when we get our priorities straight and practice good stewardship of our opportunities. I must remember that the future should trump present comforts. You ever heard of delayed gratification? The difference between those trapped in poverty many times is they do not delay gratification. Get paid today, they don't think about tomorrow. They'll blow all their money today. As I read these things, all day long I'm thinking about priorities. Choices come. We all face choices every day. All right, in the long run, what's the best choice to make? I prayed about it and wrote my prayer. Father, help me to never forget the value of priorities and to remember all that is important while keeping proper order so that you are honored first always. Put him first. He'll give you wisdom. It's good common sense. Sometimes it's more spiritual than that. But sometimes God just gets real practical with me and reminds me of things I already know, but I have to review to stay strong in that. Who had a good meal yesterday? Who's hungry today? What? You had a good meal yesterday. You already had that. Same thing works with our mind. The renewing of our mind takes reviewing of things we may already know. And revelation does come some days, man, there's things I never knew, never realized that the Word of God will open up to us. So, we don't have time to do the whole thing, but I want you to read Proverbs 24. Either in your Bible or on the card in your bulletin. I'll read it to you, and then you read it yourself. Do not be envious of evil men nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence and their lips talk of troublemaking. 
Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war, and in a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. That's a place where wise men would gather at the gates of the city. Verse 8, he who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to men. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death, and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, quote, surely we did not know this, unquote, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? Verse 13, My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul if you have found it. There is a prospect or future, and your hope will not be cut off. Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place. For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect or future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change or rebellion, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse, nations will abhor him. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. Do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause. For would you deceive with your lips? Do not say, I will do to him just as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. The surface, its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. And here's the instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. While he's playing keyboard softly, reread Proverbs 24 and think about what speaks to you the most. If you find it, then copy it word for word. That's all we'll do. You have to do it on your own time. 
your observation, application, and prayer. But I want you to experience meditating on the Word. all know as Christians there are certain things we're not supposed to think about but what are we supposed to think about this is feeding your mind with good things this is literally in the secular world it could be called positive gold setting but this is done in a bite by bite thing where you're not overwhelmed thinking about things that are godly it'll change your life and it's at a pace that will not overwhelm anyone God speaks to you right where you're at. Spiritual growth is taking the next step that God tells you to. And then the next step. Is the Bible reliable? Yes. 
and it's alive. And you can rely on it, not just by saying, I believe in it, but actually applying it to your life, a day at a time. If you forget tomorrow and suddenly wake Wednesday morning, you wake up, oh my goodness, I've got two days to make up. No, no, no. Just start Wednesday like it's a new day. Every day's a new day. Do it. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse our ways by heeding your word. Help us to heed your word. And Lord, this is just one approach. I know there are others. And Lord, I know there are people here that already know this, but they've not been doing it. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us to be faithful in our discipline to do this. This is so easy. Help us to step up to the plate and take the challenge and begin applying your word to ourselves. Jesus' name. Amen. We want to apply the word to ourselves. So many times in my own life, I've been in a service, I heard a teaching, and I think, oh, I wish so and so was here. I'm going to get him the tape. And then I think, wait a minute. Am I skipping me in this process? I need the word, I need the truth. Let's stand. Receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you and give you a hunger for His Word. May the Lord God Almighty cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and speak to you from His Word. May the Lord Himself lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may you grow day by day as He enables you from where you are today to where he's taking you. That's the image of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're challenged. Go get him, tigers. <laughs>